We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 292 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jim Hilton, and he's Emil Evanesian. Emil, I, do you want to start with the good news or the bad news? I would like to start with the good news, Dan. All right, Emil, I, I say that because everybody knows that this whole show is going to be about Barcelona losing 3 nothing to Benfica in the Champions League. It is all about a little sad things, a lot, a lot of things that people aren't too happy to hear about yeah. after the Ansu news a few days before but hey let's start with some good news let's start with Gabi getting called up to Spain after getting his first call up to the U18s back in September so the Mioric rise of Gabi is following the Mioric rises of Pedri and Ansu Fati uh, Pedri might turn to his friend or turn to his, his his new international teammate and say hey they will love you they will love you this year and then they will complain about you after you lose 3-0 to Benfica within a few months. And I feel oh, like yeah. that's already begun now. Not about Gabi, not blaming Gabi, but just a matter of people questioning whether Gabi is good enough for the Spanish national team. Well, that first of all, you know, out of hand, that's kind of absurd. But uh, secondly, I think right now you look at the just the way the Barcelona team is playing and the whole operation just feels kind of bereft of confidence and ingenuity and and inventiveness. I don't think anybody at no point, you and I've done several of these, you know, sad postmortems, I think over the past handful of handful of weeks. I don't think the talent or the the wherewithal and the the physical aptitude has ever been in question. So I do think that I'm happy for Gabi. I'm 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 going down kind of a, a rambly path that I don't actually even know where it was going to end. So I'm actually just gonna say I'm I'm happy for Gabi. I'm happy that he gets to enjoy a happy moment in the, in the aftermath of whatever it was that happened yesterday that, you know, we're going to, we're going to touch upon, but look, I mean, Barcelona, Barcelona are putting together what looks like the, the framework and the foundation of a good future team. There's, there's not a match winner in the club right now, but I do think Gabi's going to be a, an integral part of the next great Barcelona team. He is a worthy senior international at such a young age. And he falls into that category of young players that we've talked about that are absolutely not overawed by the moment, are calm and even keeled in their decision making. Even if a a pass, a shot, or whatever doesn't come off, you can understand what they were thinking and you never get the sense that they were that he was back on his heels or sort of flailing reactively. You always get the sense that he's 
at least given some thought to what the tactic is and he's he's doing it the right way and i'm frankly delighted for him he he deserves it and i i think it is actually good to to focus on this positive today yeah i mean i also don't think he'll play much or he might not play much uh, remember a call-up is not necessarily mean right. that he's going to start the next international match spain actually if you remember does need to win their European qual. I mean, their far yeah. their World Cup qualifiers. They put themselves in an early hole by dropping yep. a World Cup qualifier for the first time in years and years to what I think of Sweden. But but yeah, beside the beside the point, yeah, that I, I think Gavi will actually be enhanced by what we've seen in Luis Luis Enrique's system, where we will talk about Eric Garcia a bit later. Mm. But Eric Garcia is better for Spain. Busquets has been better for Spain over the last yep. um, five six months. So. I would expect that Gabi being of a, a similar cloth, and I mean, as in his skill sets are made better by that mm. kind of 4-3-3 system that is played. It, it makes sense for him to be comfortable in this kind of Spain. I'm glad he's called up to this version of Luis Enrique yeah. Spain. Now, speaking of playing well and not getting recognition that you're supposed to get, that's being the reverse of this, we're already into mm. the bad news. That's how quickly we got to the bad news, Emil, <laughs> because the Femini, the Barca Femini, dominated yesterday yep. in their domestic campaign. But I just want to throw it in here at one point that the Femini were not on television. There was nowhere, even me Mm -hmm. in the States, usually I cannot watch it in Spain. But even you in the city of Barcelona could not watch the Barca Femini because they were not in any way uh, televised, which is, yes, it is on the financial resources of the opposing teams. It is on, because again, they were on on the road. So yes, Mm -hmm. it is on the stadiums. It is on the opposition teams who are just fortunate at this point as in financial resources to have teams. So it is yeah. not the fault of the Barca Femini per se, but the, the Primera division and Span- Spanish soccer in general n- needs to take a look again and say, Hey, yeah. we have the treble winners. We have the best women's team in the mm-hmm. world. We need to make sure that people can watch them. And yeah, man, it, it's, and it's unconscionable. Is- I mean, it's, and I understand, like, like you said, there are kind of logistical and, financial obstacles to having every game on television as you know the way the way the the Barca men are but at the same time it's like you said this is a spectacular collection of talent like they're the they are the best club in Europe they're the the reigning treble treble winners or reigning treble holders and they along with other clubs but just this collection of players this team i think is so good for big time women's club football and there needs to be provisions put in place or you know the 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 infrastructure needs to be put in place for them to get the get the exposure that they deserve that they've earned that you know i mean just honestly having every one of their games on on television is so far below the recognition that they've earned they deserve to be celebrated they deserve to be feted and known and just uh they deserve to be famous you know like properly famous and i understand the the world as it is right now that you know the for some reason that is more difficult to to make happen but at the very least the games need to be viewable yeah well my frustration with the team in particular is that this is this is villarreal who are new to having a women's team yes but villarreal has the financial medal as a club to be able to provide some kind of streaming, some kind of camera, some kind of anything. Yeah, uh, the, well, the owner of Villarreal is worth like a billion and a half, and like, right? And so, he's he's the less rich brother. 
<laughs> right. So there's no excuse. Uh, and the other yeah. thing is earlier in the week, even Alexi Puteas had a six minute hat trick that I was excited. <laughs> even those, the, even even those highlights weren't available to for for, for viewing globally. Mm. Said you had to go back and watch those highlights mm. later on when they were cut together from that mm. feed. So I, I just it was frustration all around because I wanted yeah. to just at least watch the feminine yesterday before I ever knew what was happening with Benfica. Um, right. We have just two more little pieces of bad news to get to. First, mm -hmm. it is there is a chart that I've been asked about quite a lot in the Facebook listener group and on Twitter about the limited salary for the salary limitations or salary limit, if you will, coming out for the 2021-22 season. That mm -hmm. is, and I can tell you this, just like all the experts, I've been following Sam Marston and all these people who are smarter and well-known about the finances of Barcelona and Dermot Corrigan than, than I, it looks like the number is 97. So Barcelona would only be able to spend 97 if you, because that is a limit when you add the losses in of five or 487 million, which is, which is what Laporta then mm -hmm. basically made out that he would, that those were last season's losses as big as yeah. possible. So we wrote off like a bunch of assets, 481 or 487 of the assets, which takes Barcelona's salary limit to 570 million, which is a, makes a lot more sense because mm -hmm. the second behind Real Madrid was 200 million for Sevilla. Mm -hmm. So all that said, uh, they're going to make sense of it. We will talk about it on another show when I can figure out. And then Tony Jean Marti also threw in there that it's only the amount of money that they can use with new signings next season, not for the current players of the squad. Mm -hmm. I, I think he's right on that. So 97 million basically means that even if Barcelona did have the funds to sign some kind of major talent, they probably would not be able to afford their salary. So right. that would be the bad news about that and what that means. So get used to the squad you have, the very young squad you have. You know, I, we'll, we'll talk about that again later. And then the last piece of bad news before Benfica, Emil, as I stall here a little bit, is people, I want to give you an update on the stump in my backyard. It's been, again, cathartic for me to try to bring up this tree that is tree stump that is way, way, way too big. And it seems like I very much like more, has been overwhelmed. More new and deeper roots. <laughs> right. And the roots just go deeper and deeper and deeper. I just, I felt like I'm whispering Bartomeu in my backyard because every time I, I lop off a, a one, one branch and I go farther down in uh, to the stump, it just keeps going farther and farther down. And the hole that I'm, I'm literally digging a hole in my backyard and the hole that I've dug myself is now four or five feet when every video on the internet wow. I've watched went three feet down. And if that is not a representation of where FC Barcelona is at the moment, Emil, I don't know what it's, is. And I think that's the Bartomeu effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's do the Benfica thing. Three, nothing lost to Benfica. I want to start with Kuman. Kike Setien was let go three days after the Bayern 8-2. Three days yeah. after that happened. Kuman is at this point, supremely a sitting duck. And I don't remember the last yeah. time a Barcelona was this much of a lame duck since actually, ironically enough, Rijkaard, when everybody mm. knew he was going to be fired. And yet yeah. he, I think he finished out the last two months, basically after the announcement that he was going to be gone. Yeah, they let him, yeah, I think they let him finish out the season. And then, yeah, but I mean, the the Kuman thing, I mean, yeah, because I saw that there was rumors, I guess, floating around that he was going to get the chop today, but then... He didn't. And then I, I just saw that it was he will definitely be in charge for the Atletico game, after which I guess we're going to an international break. That typically tends to be a time when teams will make these types of coaching changes. My assumption is that he gets the gets the Atleti game and almost regardless of what happens. I mean, I guess barring some sort of miraculous you no. know, four nail win or something. like that. I, I disagree. I don't think it matters. 
I know it's not, it's not going to happen. Like it's this weird thing. Oh no, 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 no. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Like it won't, it won't happen, but yeah. I mean, uh, but I think basically he gets the chop either, you know, Sunday morning or Monday morning or whenever they choose to do it, but, but it's done. I mean, there's no, there's no clawing this thing back because whatever little bit of, you know, because there were some kind of good vibes. I was on Twitter and just, you know, I was watching the game with some people, the, the Levante game on what was it Monday night? And there were some good vibes in the aftermath of that, just because there hadn't been a calm, smooth sailing business, like three nil win in man, who knows how long. And so, and it was very much, we don't want to make too much of this. This is, this is one outing and we have the champions league coming up and everything, but it was, you know, there was at least just some like good vibes for a night where you can say that, okay, every positive run, every upswing has to start from somewhere. It starts with a result. And I mean, it, it took so little time and, you know, Kuman put out a curious lineup and I don't know. I just, I, I feel like, I mean, the guys are playing hard, but I think they're, they're playing hard because they're professionals. I don't get the sense that they're playing hard because of any kind of burning desire to save the coach or any, you know, deep belief in his, in his philosophy or his system. They're, they're playing hard because they're, you know, they're proper professionals and this is, this is what they do. But I don't think there's anything left there other than the professional pride of the individuals. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I, I think, again, at this point, Barcelona are at a point where, the, regardless of what Frankie de Young or Sergio Busquets have said, the manager is, is so far gone, they've stopped playing for him. And I think even for, for Barcelona and Kuman, that when I saw the lineup, and this is another little discretion where, unfortunately for me yesterday, I was working almost all day, and I actually did not see, didn't even see the score. For, that's why you didn't hear from me yesterday. I did not see anything of the score. There's no YouTube match review for it because I didn't finish watching the match until about 3 a.m. U.S. time, which was about eight hours ago, nine hours ago before we started recording this. And, you know, I went to bed, tried to sleep on it. But all I did see prior to the match was the starting lineup. And I got this, this feeling in the pit of my stomach that, you know, the question that somebody had asked me actually where I was, I was doing, a, I was actually, ironically enough, doing a soccer broadcast. And one of the other people there asked me when the last time Barcelona was in the Europa League. And the answer is, 2003, 2004 is when they were last in the uh, UEFA Cup with you- the UEFA Europa mm-hmm. League. And prior to that, it was the 2000-2001 season, once in the 90s. And then we're talking going back to the 80s. And uh, for most of the 70s, while Johan Cruyff was there, it was called the UEFA Cup at the time. But it just had a different, a different distinction, if you will. And the rules were different about how many Spanish teams got in. And since that time, since the Champions League has been expanded, 
and mm-hmm. more teams go through to the knockout stage, the answer is Barcelona is always there. Yeah. Basically, that's the answer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because there was once upon, and I don't recall exactly when the various tweaks were made to, yeah, because the, the, what's the Europa League now became the, it's like an amalgamation of the UEFA Cup and the Cup Winners Cup and everything. But it used to be the the European Cup was, I mean, definitely the champion. I don't even think there, for a long time, there wasn't even a, a second team from each country. Right. I mean, I don't know what, back in the 60s, it was called the Intercities Fairs Cup. Yeah, that yeah. was the predecessor, even the earliest predecessor, mm-hmm. if you will, to the yeah. to, to that. And so, that, that was basically a, an invitation where a bunch of teams would come in and then that expanded over time. And yeah. So anyway, the, the point yeah. is, I, w- I want to go back even to the, the starting lineup here. Mm-hmm. Oh, why I say it was dead on arrival between eh, one player that would frustrate me or two players together that would frustrate me were one thing. But it was a combination of this, of a three, four, one, two, I guess you'd call it, or a, a mm. five, two, depending on what you think Pedri's positioning was. And this lineup, the reason, again, once I say dead on arrival, is that you could circle Eric Garcia and say, why was Eric Garcia picked over Mangetha? Good question. Why mm. was Roberto picked under, uh, over Mangetha? And now you're asking about the lineup, right? We've yeah. seen that Mangetha this year has been playing at right back. And I don't understand for the life of me why why Ronald Koeman decided to detour from that 4-3-3 with, with Mingetha potentially at the back, at right back, and then Des out on the left, where he was very good as a left back against Levante. And then you keep Araujo and Pique in the middle. And mm-hmm. I mean, as I've said about Eric Garcia, I, I think everybody else has kind of already done it. I, again, say that I believe in him, but I believe in him if he's a better version of himself. But he, mm-hmm. again, had another terrible performance. And he should be, deservedly, even at the age of 20, he should be put on the bench. And Lingley yeah. should potentially get his minutes now. Eric, it's just, it's not working. He doesn't have whether Barcelona is right. And he doesn't have the physical metal up top to contend mm-hmm. so far. He's being pushed off the ball way too easily. His, his, it's not even his positioning, but uh, it just overall as a defender, he does not have the savvy at the moment. He's being just ripped apart one V one. And then it's a concession that Eric Garcia was the wrong choice when Araujo would switch over to the right. But then the question becomes, why would you start Eric Garcia on the right and Ron Araujo on the left? If you were mm-hmm. just going to immediately change it anyway, when the, the first sign of danger, when Eric Garcia had an issue on that first goal, because Darwin Nunez was more comfortable on the left. Mm-hmm. But how did you not know that Darwin Nunez? I mean, I told you in or not you, but I told everybody mm-hmm. in the YouTube preview that Darwin Nunez has been playing off the left, coming off the left as an inverted mm-hmm. forward and then finding his space there. So why would you let Darwin Nunez get a one on one shot against Eric Garcia from the very beginning? And then Sergio Roberto, you think he's yeah. going to cover in behind? Absolutely. Absolutely not. And so like those little things from the, from the, from the jump, you knew that this yeah. was over, which is crazy. Three minutes in the goal happens and everybody knew I knew it. I knew I looked yeah. at my dog. I'm like, it's, it's one in the morning. It's two in the morning. And I have to sit, what am I going to do? What's going to happen here? And you just do yeah, it. Like I have to keep doing this for an hour and a half. Yeah. Cause I was out watching the game yesterday and you know, I mean, it was, it was a nice night. So I probably, you know, might've been out for a little while anyway, around the time or anything, but you know, so kind of excited to sit down and everything. Three minutes in, <laughs> you you take a shot to the gut. And um, yeah, and my whole thought was like, man, I kind of committed to sitting here for an hour and a half, two hours. And I have to, it's exactly like you said, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to leave. <laughs> but there was so little, I mean, other than half chances too, at no point did it feel like the, the tide was turning. I mean, there have been... I mean, we've seen games in the past, you know, not with this particular iteration of Barca, but with, with Barca teams past, 
where, you know, sometimes you have to, you eat the early goal, you know, something, something happens, whatever, but you get the sense that everyone's a little bit cheapish. Everyone's a little, everyone's a little mad, but they're, they're pulling it together. And this is going to be, they're going to fight back. This is going to be a competitive game. I don't know that I definitely didn't think Barca would score at all yesterday, but I didn't get the sense that they were ever truly on the front foot and they, that they ever really were exerting control over the game. I mean, they had, you know, there were individual moves and, you know, kind of particular, particular moments that weren't abjectly terrible, but, but by and large, I mean, I didn't, I never got the sense that Barca were really preparing to throw their own haymakers back. Yeah. And, I don't know what I don't know what you pin that on or what where you pin that to. I, I think one of it is obviously there's I usually I go through the tactics and everything, but mm. th- there was very little to analyze. Barcelona, the frustration is because they put on the performance they did. I don't need the galaxy brain what happened here. I think it's pretty clear, as I said, from the opening whistle, from the opening lineup, Benfica found a really easy way to exploit the spaces that Barcelona were leaving behind. And it didn't get any better when you took Frankie de Young, who was playing in his, you know, his normal box to box role mm. and doing what he was doing. And then they moved him back instead of switching to a four, three, three. And that is, I think what, what broke my brain a little bit too, even when Gabi came on for mm. Jared PK, which after he'd picked up the yellow, looked like he was going to get a red. And it was an admittance that PK, not that PK wasn't the right choice, but he was the sacrificial lamb for what was the wrong choice to open in the game with. And then Gabi yeah. was supposed to be the hope in the prayer because he was coming off the bench with no disrespect to Coutinho, the most informed midfielder to put in that kind of physical perform. I mean, physical kind yeah. of game, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. 17, but yeah, it was admittance that the lineup had to be changed. Things had to be worked around. And so instead of then going to a, a, a four, three, three, which it, it, he kind of did uh, in a, in, in some senses with Sergio Roberto coming back to play, but then at time, so then it looked more like a five at the back than it did actually yeah. a four three three at all because again it remained de young at the back with then Araujo and eric garcia and garcia moving over to the right so just an admittance that everything was wrong yeah it didn't really help the team because again you took one of the better attacking options that brings to the point of pedri that people were really getting on pedri yesterday because he wasn't releasing the ball quick enough to me he didn't look like he had match not even match fitness but it didn't look like he had the rhythm of the match down and that's yeah. what happens when you're on the snide and then you immediately get inserted into a champions league game that's must win yeah. And so I, I was wondering, I mean, Pedri is, I think, at his best, the starter for Barcelona, but also you can't throw a player in who has been on the snot, who's been on the bench or, or been injured and isn't ready for that moment again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then up top, you know, it's funny as much as I keep I, I feel like people are going to say, oh, you make excuses for blah, 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 blah. The one player that I feel like I might make a little bit of excuse from uh, for rather is Luke de Young, because he, all of his misses yesterday we're once again, another reminder that uh, it's just, it's not supposed to be him. It's supposed to be almost yeah. everybody else other than Luke Young. And the one indictment of Luke Young goes back on Kuman because Kuman fought for him. That the, 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 the agreement between Laporta and Kuman was that, all right, we can't get you Wijnaldum. We can't get you some of the other players you want, but we'll get you Luke Young because he's available and we can get you him for free on loan from Sevilla. So that's a player that Kuman asked for. And that's the, yeah. the player, if you will, other than Memphis Dubai, that the Kuman got. And yeah. uh, whatever Kuman thought he was going to get out of Luke Young is n- not only is it not going to happen, but I mean, not only has it not happened, but it's not going to happen. Gosh. No, I mean, I don't. Word, word. Goodness. No, that's exactly right. I mean, I think it's exactly like you said, because there are elements of things that the guy does reasonably well. He is not 
cut out to be, you know, leading a line for Barcelona. Like he's not, he's not the number nine for Barca. He's particularly not the number nine. He, he's the kind of guy that, you know, he, he might've thrived on one of those vintage, just stellar Barca teams where kind of enough of the attention was just diffused all over all of the teammates okay, and he I mean, could poach, you know, we're basically comparing him to Jeffrey Suarez. So no, I, I don't want to throw yeah. that name, uh, but he was on, I, he did play in the Manita, right? I, if I remember mm-hmm. right, he scored one of yeah. the goals. He scored the last one. Yeah. Yeah. So like no offense to Jeffrey Suarez, but he was so far below the talent of his rest of his teammates in that right. whole conquering side. That is basically what Luke DeYoung is where I don't want to see him until the last 15 minutes of a game. And if he is starting for your team, up top, you're probably not going to get a goal unless one of the other forwards is scoring it or they're setting it up for Luther Young on a platter, which is exactly what was done for him. And he failed to do that on two different occasions, one of which would have been offside, the one where he kind of bumbled yeah. off, his, off yeah. his knee slash hip or whatever. <laughs> oh, man, that I was mean, even that one. That even, one was rough. It was offside, but the ball should have been in the back of the net. I, how, do you not act, how do you not accidentally put that into the net? Yeah. And I just want to see it go in the net, even if it's offside. Goodness gracious. Oh, yeah. I they don't, don't even have to count at this point. Either, Emil. Yeah, they don't even have to count at this point. Just <laughs> because, I mean, I kind of think of the, the goal that he got against Levante, which was, you know, Serginio Dest put it perfectly. I mean, essentially played him through to the penalty spot and and he was able to slot it home from there. And, I mean, it's kind of like you said, if if Luke DeYoung is leading your line, and I don't want to be overly, I don't want to be <laughs> being critical of Luke DeYoung as such, but, you know, kind of Sevilla is a good team. And, you know, he was he was a part of, that team and they are a a really good team but in in this sense if if Luke Young is leading your line as he was I guess being expected to lead the line last night you're not that good just like it's the harsh reality it's you know at some point the I don't know where the I don't know where the match winners were yesterday I mean Frankie DeYoung looked decent you know before the before the move backwards <laughs> you know he he had moments he looked decent. Memphis was game, but he didn't really generate much of anything. And so I don't know who the the match winner was supposed to be, where the sort of stroke of brilliance was supposed to come from. Well, I think the, the expectation would, that it would come from Memphis. But mm-hmm. the, the other thing I would say about trying to analyze this match and the reason why I'm not, again, trying to analyze much of anything tactically, that other than Ter Stegen, who had his worst match in about a year, uh, yeah. Tegan, he was just bad. He was flat out bad. Maybe Barca's mm-hmm. worst player, which is crazy to think, but potentially Barca's worst player, which you can't have in a, at a European night. But other than Ter Stegen, the players that played poorly yesterday were the ones that you almost, and, and unfortunately, these 17-year-olds and 14-year-olds on the internet have figured out are going to be Barcelona's worst players. And I think that mm-hmm. was part of the frustration too, that Sergio Roberto which is a player that many people are out on should never be at the club that, you know, they say, and why is he wearing, why was he given the captain's armband at one point in that match when other captains had come off? And not only did he get the start after being out for a game and immediately handed to it, he was worse than deaths on the other side where the players who I expected to not be up to snuff yesterday, that being Eric Garcia, that being Luke de Young, that being Sergio Roberto. And then mm-hmm. even PK had a rough one and Busquets was not great yesterday. And it kind of affected even the players that I expected to play well. Ronald Araujo had maybe his worst match of the season, which is saying something, yet he was leagues <laughs> better than PK and Eric Garcia. And yeah. Memphis, Memphis was fine in the match. Memphis did, I mean, he was creating a bit. He was finding a, a few spaces, but 
it, there was just a lack of there was a lack of cohesion. He seemed like he was completely alone up on an island where Luke de Young wasn't really combining with him, wasn't really helping. And then he and Pedri did not look prepared to play next to one another. And again, the admittance of the off the bench, yes, Fatih was never going to come on early, but by putting on Mingetha, Gabi, Nico, and even actually in this, in this case, Coutinho having played against Levante, by mm-hmm. throwing Coutinho as well in the 68th minute, he may not be a young player, I think, Coutinho, but what was Nico and Fati when they came in and Oscar in the 89th minute, why even put him in the game? What were those young players supposed to do, right? How do you expect a young player to change the fortunes of a game? How are they supposed to be the ones who are emotionally going to flip that switch when you're veterans, when you're leaders, when you're experienced players just cannot do that? And I, I felt like there was this push of the mm. future generation is trying to, yeah. to push not only positivity, but to change the feeling that FC Barcelona as a yeah. club had on the feeling. And they're supposed to use their youth and their optimism to you know, change what all Kool-Aids are watching while the yeah. veterans and the experienced players and the ones who we knew would struggle in Europe against whoever they needed to be. Whenever there's a must-win game in Europe, the veterans mm-hmm. and the experienced players are going to struggle. And it seems like the experienced players were almost telling the young players like, no, 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 we've lost this match. This is over. We're done. Yeah. This, is, this is a European night and we're losing by more than two goals. There's no comeback coming. There's no goal even coming. This is over. No, the, yeah, yeah there, was, there was no wind in the sails. I mean, it was, and I think that's, that's actually a really good point that you make because I feel like it was as much as I, I mean, the, the result itself is obviously disastrous, but I agree that it, it had a certain demoralizing feel to it that, and I think you bring up a really good point that because at this point, some of the guys who've been around, I mean, obviously there's, uh, you know, Sergio Roberto, Jared Piquet and Sergio Busquets, you know, they've, they've been around for, of course they were there for the, the remontada against, PSG, but they were also there for the the shellacking that that made that comeback necessary. And then the following year, they were there for Roma. The year after that, they were there for Liverpool. And the year after that, (laughs) they were they were there for Bayern. And and I do think there's a sense that I understand there's there's experience, there's kind of saving your energy and not kind of not running yourself ragged for for a lost cause. I understand the the sense of, you know, no need to chase every, every lost cause, but at the same time, there, there does seem to be a, a defeatist streak that adversity seems to beget adversity. And I mean, and I think this has been said in analysis of kind of all sports at all levels and things like that, when things start going wrong and, and I mean, I feel like a little bit it's, it's seeping in, to the fans as well. I mean, probably more than a little bit, but when it seeps into the players and the coaches, when something starts going wrong and your first thought is, "Uh Oh, here we go again. And not some sort of dig your heels in. And, you know, because I mean, Barca didn't concede for another hour after, after getting, you know, getting clipped, you know, right away. And at the same time, they're, there, there wasn't an aggressiveness. There wasn't sort of, you didn't get the feel, you didn't get the feeling that they were sort of consolidating and, you know, they, you know, they, they reeled a little bit, but they were sort of taking a moment consolidating and they were going to come back with, with their own version of something like a really potent attack. It, it felt like they got hit and they kind of, to some extent, they knew they were going to get hit at some point and that it came so early really seemed to have really seemed to demoralize them. 
Yeah, I thought and, that, you know, interestingly enough, it's I mean, it was a little over a week ago against Granada. Watching that one and just getting the sense that, you know, Barcelona, that game, I stick with it. And that was just a rat team, bad mm. performance uh, <laughs> against Granada. Yeah. Lately, they played like hot garbage. And then yesterday, you're right, that there were stretches, 15, 20 minutes, especially in the first half, as they were nearing halftime, that Barca controlled that match and were the better side. Mm. And even once PK came on, I thought before halftime, Barcelona were the better team, probably could have got a goal instead of conceding in the 69th minute. But once mm. they didn't break through when they had their opportunity, when they were on the front foot, because even the advanced metrics, the advanced metrics say that Benfica should have won this game one nothing or 2-1, if anything. Yeah. But Barcelona didn't register. Now, different, different places are saying that they got one shot on target. Some are saying they got zero shots on target. But it doesn't matter. Whether you got zero shots in two games in the Champions League or you got one <laughs> shot on target in two games <laughs> in the Champions League, it doesn't really matter. It's you know, That's really splitting hairs yeah exactly and, and, and so, for, so for Barca to to, to put up the, the the attacking numbers that they have yet you know seeing the frailties on the defensive line with with Garcia then with Ter Stegen being as poor as he was with mm. PK just lunging in and just having a terrible European night uh, deserving two yellows in the first 10 minutes yeah uh, so you know Barca yesterday it felt like put themselves in the place where you lose that match instead of actually yeah. playing it's it's I, I know i'm not making much sense i'm again a bit exasperated a little frustrated because i mm. i usually like to just rely on tactics or the advanced metrics like mm. granada was easy because i could say hey look at the numbers here barcelona were hot garbage but just looking and trying to compare these two teams benfica against barcelona barcelona were not that much worse over the course of 90 minutes but they still lost three nothing and it felt like it should have been more and it felt like they were yeah. never going to get a goal. And so I don't know how to parcel Emil or Tattoo, you know, compare the feeling I have of what I've just watched and the numbers that tell me it wasn't even as bad as you think it was. But three nothing is really bad because in the context of winning and so, losing, it's terrible. Absolutely. So as you were as you were saying this now, I'm, I'm going to take about 30 seconds and try to talk this out and let me know if this makes sense, because this kind of popped into my head when you were talking about it, you know, over the course of 90 minutes or kind of minute for minute. Barca didn't look like the vastly inferior team, but the accumulation of all the events of those 90 minutes led us to, to three nil. It's almost like, like in blackjack, <laughs> if you play blackjack, each individual hand, the, the house's advantage is relatively minuscule. I mean, I think it's, it's something like, you know, 1.4% if I'm not mistaken. So that's fine. Now, the thing is, each successive hand that you play, you're essentially giving, you know, you're you're taking a 1.4% probability hit every time you play. And those those probability gaps kind of accumulate over time. So I think Barcelona were moderately less good consistently. And the kind of that those moderate deficiencies sort of accumulated into in, into kind of the, the large deficiency that we saw. So it wasn't like the Bayern thing where we were watching and, you know, you, you look at Bayern and their, the lineup and their players and how they're playing. And, you know, you can talk yourself into 3-0 being a perfectly acceptable, <laughs> acceptable deficit against them. Yeah. Whereas this one, it was just kind of slowly, 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 you know, drip, drip, drip. But none of, and none of those kind of key inflection points went Barca's way. And, and I'm not saying that as sort of the, the ball didn't, you know, they didn't catch bounces. They didn't make the, they didn't make their own breaks. I mean, they didn't catch any breaks, but they didn't make their own breaks. And I mean, I guess they probably did even catch breaks because, uh, you know, uh, what was it? Was it a uh, Nunes who hit the, who hit the post when yeah. <laughs> Stegen was, um, yeah, just went set sail and yeah. And so, uh, but I think it was just, 
small, small deficits accumulated and there wasn't really any point where they clawed much of it back. And yeah. And I think it just, this is sort of where, where we wound up. Like we never took a, we never took a U-turn to a, to a more positive direction. Now we're asking questions that I, I hate that we're, we're asking, but people are asking, you know, mm-hmm. is it more beneficial financially to fall into the Europa League and win the Europa League? Or is it more financially beneficial to get rid of Koeman at some point because of the 12 million euros that he's owed? You know, want to hear a really sad number here. Mm-hmm. If you win, this is in dollars at this point, though, but if you win <clears> a group stage match in the Champions League this season, you get 3.3 million euros just for winning the match. So if anything, Barcelona have already conceded $6.6 million, or not Euro, sorry, $6.6 million by not winning the first two matches of the Champions League, which is half of what it would cost (laughs) to get rid of the manager who didn't do the winning, oddly enough. And if you reach the round of 16, even if you get through the group stage in the Champions League, you get $11.6 million, which again is pretty close. It's about two two million euros short of what yeah. would be owed to Kuman, And then if you win the Europa League, so if you drop down in the Europa League and you win the Europa League, you still only get 8.5 million euro, which d- just, again, easy math there, making the Champions League round of 16 and however far you get there, because if you accidentally win- That's that, already worth more than winning the whole thing. Exactly, <laughs> in the Europa League. So the answer is that no, financially, it makes a lot more sense to stay in the Champions League. And then for those who think that dropping down the Europa League and winning that trophy is a moral victory, well, the as you said, the risk of dropping to the Europa League and then not winning the Europa League is much higher than dropping down. In, I mean, than, uh, than just getting through the group stage and then getting crashed out by Napoli or Atlanta or whoever yeah. it may be in the round of 16, right? That, that takes down Barcelona in the round yeah. of 16. So no, figuring out how to navigate your way to second place in the group is basically the only option without yeah. this being an unmitigated failure in the Champions League this year to me, at least. And yeah. basically you have to win out and then need Bayern to beat Benfica twice. Mathematically, you can still have one of those Bayern results not going that way, but you also have to beat Bayern or you have to get some kind of result. You have to match the Benfica Bayern result. And then you have to beat the yeah. Kiev twice. And then you also right. have to beat Benfica back at home. That is all the things that have to happen because Barcelona bottom of the group. And looking ahead to Atletico Madrid, the reason why this is where we'll end the show, Emil, why we say, I guess Atletico Madrid, yeah, if, if Barcelona beat them 5 nothing or something, what's that going to mean? What's that going to change? Well, the answer still is nothing. But the reason no. I say it's impossible is because there's no way at this juncture that Barcelona could overtake Atletico Madrid in Madrid. Oh, I mean. oh yeah, no, no. I mean, you know, when I when I said that, it was firmly tongue in cheek. But that would, yeah, because I don't know. I, I feel like just because the world has a sense of humor, something like that will happen. But no, I mean, I I don't foresee any way in which, yeah, I don't foresee any way in which Barca win. I mean, I I think maybe. I mean, if you can take a point out of that match, it's it's a good point. I mean, and look, I mean, taking a point from Atletico in Madrid, like that's always a good point. And I know it's, you know, Barca, you know, the, the bigger club and this and that and everything. Like that's always a good point. But right now, just given the, and I know Atleti aren't completely firing on all cylinders right now in the sense of, I mean, I feel like they, Atleti have another level themselves to to get to. So this might actually not be the worst time to to run into them. But I don't know that Barcelona are equipped to maximize their performance even against a, right. you know, whatever, a, seven, a 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10 Atleti. You know what I was thinking when I was talking to Fika? That is an absolutely crazy question. What would have happened if Barcelona had lost to Sheriff? 
what ha- what would have happened if FC Barcelona had lost to a Moldovan team? That's what I actually cannot like wrap my mind around. That Benfica is the best team in Portugal. They're usually mm. in the Champions League group stage, and they usually get to the knockout stages. Yeah, team in Portugal, and Barcelona are right. They're the, the of the big three in Spain. They are the they are well, big four adding Sevilla. They're in the mm. worst spot at the moment, right? They're in yeah. dire straits because they're the lowest in the table. And yet they're not the team that lost to the Moldovan team in the Champions League, which is like, yeah. again, it's hard to parcel through. And I, I feel like as Kool-Aid's, we're almost, we're not being hard enough. We're not trolling. We're not, because, you know, it's funny when, as much as I would love to be celebrating that, that loss to, to Sheriff for Real Madrid, mm-hmm. a bunch of people responded with that it doesn't matter if they lost that match because they know that they're still going to make the semifinals of the Champions League and they might even win the whole gosh darn thing. <laughs> and you know, and that's a big difference, right? That Real Madrid can play like garbage, get beat by a Moldovan side. Again, once again, no disrespect mm. to Sheriff, but also they're a, a small I mean, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like just they, what was it? One yeah. 60th of the salary cap that, that Real Madrid yeah. have. And then, but yeah, Real Madrid are going to say, ah, we're Madrid. We're fine. We're Los Blancos. This is good. This is Champions League. It's our competition. And it's not going to yeah. affect them in any way. But Barcelona and Kules in general, you know, going back and I've been reading a, a rereading Jimmy Burns's book about Barcelona and mm-hmm. For forever, forever. If you're a Kool-Aid who's just 19, 20 years old or 30 years old or whatever, Kool-Aids have internalized their losses harder than Real Madrid fans for a hundred yeah. years. I can't, I'm not mm-hmm. kidding. That our that Kool-Aids is just in the it's the in the ethos. It's what Kool-Aids do. They they just internalize and they they push it deep down inside themselves. Yeah. And a loss seems to carry over a lot longer than it does for Real Madrid, who seem to have this way of of just letting their hair down and letting it all flow out the back like shampoo and that's it. And they're done. They're because I think the like, one. well, I think the inter- well, it's like in, in Real Madrid, I think, I mean, we've talked about the sort of the storm that, that swirls around Barca, whether, you know, the, the Barca managers or any players that fall out of favor, you know, with the local press and the fans and everything like that. But I think with Madrid, it's, it's like that when it's good, you know, they were, they booed Cristiano when he was scoring a goal a game for them. That's true. So I think it's the whole thing. Like we will, it's almost, we will never love you. So don't even worry about it. Yeah. It's just, you will never please us. So it's cool. Don't even worry about it. And um, you know, you might get the occasional, you know, you get Iker Casillas that is, you know, revered by, by the Blancos fans or, you know, um, Sergio Ramos, obviously. And, you know, kind of folks like that, but they're not hesitant to just absolutely discard superstar players, coaches, and it doesn't even have to be going that badly. And so I think the, the thing with Barcelona is there was so much, so much of the ethos of Barcelona is in the not being Madrid and everything that FC Barcelona and Camp Nou and everything kind of meant to, you know, Catalan people of the last century and everything like that. So I think there is sort of there is obviously that that emotional tinge tint to it that i think real madrid simply doesn't have and on top of that for so long i think the the ethos of barcelona included a certain level of mutual reverence between the players and the fans and like you know not not to say that every player has always been popular but i think there was a much more sort of heart to heart almost like, you know, kind of touchy-feely loving relationship. But we're now in a point where so much of kind of the guys that were part of the furniture and the the pillars of the last 
decade and a half of dominance are either completely gone and in some cases gone in particularly kind of gutting and heartbreaking, unexpected last minute ways, or, you know, kind of on their later, if not last legs and into con. So this whole thing is sort of winding down. And I, I don't know that Barca fans know how to deal with it right now, because even in the lean years, when Ronaldo left, Rivaldo was brought in. So he, you know, even in those down years, you had Rivaldo to, to cheer for. You had a guy who was doing the unthinkable and spectacular things. And then Ronaldinho. And so it's kind of, it's been this sort of strength to strength or legend to legend, right. sort of almost seamless handoff. Where right now, I think we're kind of floating in a weird spot where we don't even know who we're supposed to rely on. Well, I mean, yes and no, because I feel like just less than a few days ago, that, and this will end the show, that less than mm-hmm. a few days ago, we were all celebrating Ansu Fati in the new number 10 at Barcelona. As, oh, as a, 100. I, I would agree that there is, it, it's a weird thing to, again, compare the club and, and mm-hmm. the place that it, it's in now, because I get this, and you have to get the sense, with Messi gone, with Bartomeu mm-hmm. gone, with the understanding of how bad things are financially, we're now, if in, in the book of Barcelona, we're back in a rising action. The young mm-hmm. players, you know, a lot of really good young, talented players have been found. They will, in theory, a bunch of them will improve and improve together. And yep. we know at this juncture, yes, it seems like Barcelona have flatlined with Kuman, but we've already been through the lowest point. I mean, in losing 8-2 to Bayern Munich and being in financial ruin is a low point. And then yes. losing, losing Lionel Messi is, again, finally rock bottom. So those were the two descending actions or i'm forgetting my literary terms and now barcelona can only go not to say they can only go one direction but it's weird to lose three nothing to benfica and crash out of the champions league and be in your rising action i know those are diametrically opposed ideas but that is what Barcelona is in right now financially they are on the road we hope again trust in laporta here they're on the road to financial recovery because it can't get possibly worse and so in two three years time however long as it takes to get back to where barca have the financial metal to go out with everybody then but we're already on that road to recovery when it comes to the young players in the spot again some of those future stars are already integrated in the team and we'll just continue to get improve and get better and again until kuman is gone until the as we call them so many times the sacred cows until they've been moved on yeah. We're going to feel like we're still in the old days, but we're not. We're in the new era. We're in the, the and the yeah. doesn't help actually making you think of the old days because he, he's a former president. But we no, all- that's a that's a problem. You see. Yeah, you see Pique, Busquets and Juan Laporta. And yeah, it's easy feel to like feel like it. it's, it's that time. Yeah, right. same thing with Kuman too, being a, you know, a Barcelona legend yeah. and all this stuff. But but no, I mean, Kuman will be gone in a matter of days, you'd assume. And a new manager yeah. will come in. And so that's, once again, another change of where a, a new president, I put quotes on new president was been brought yeah. in to financially fix everything. It's going to take time. A new yeah. coach is going to be brought in who I hope gets a long, long leash. And they're yeah. going to be able to eventually, we'll hope, take this project to the next step. And then and the young players as well. So it's so weird, Emil, that we lose 3 nothing, And I'm here I am. They're like, oh, positivity. But no, there is a light at the end of this tunnel. And Barcelona are in the rising action. So I want to end it with that positive note. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I buy, I buy that. Because, I mean, I do think in, strictly speaking, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, particularly in the sense of, I mean, what more, like you said, between the 8-2 to Bayern, 8-2 to Bayern, the, the, the 8-2 Neymar, Messi, complete financial ruin, you know, I mean, there's the, the kitchen sink has been thrown 
at this club. And so I think strictly speaking, you're right. I mean, I think the, where I think people are sort of really, I, I don't know, I, I, almost desperate, I guess, is waiting for that new foundation and just the, 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 the green shoots. I mean, I see the green shoots of Ansu Fati and, you know, Gavi and Pedri and, you know, but I think there's, there's almost like a desire to almost kind of fast forward to that point. I don't know if, I don't know if that's exactly accurate, but I, I kind of want to get to the point where I wouldn't be sad if we just said, you know what, the, the heck with it. Like, we're just, we're not going to get relegated. We're just, we're going to do this with these guys and just I mean, see. The, the irony though, is that I trust <laughs> at this point, Gabi to get three points more than I do Sergio Roberto. I trust Nico. Yeah. More than I oh do. yeah. And, and so the Barcelona in a weird space where I actually think the younger players are at this point, the safer options, which is, which is again, antithetical to what you feel in the locker room where you might get yeah. around the club because you know, those who've done I totally it, agree. Should be able to do it. So anyway, that's where we end this one. Yeah. Um, Atletico Madrid, I think we know what to expect, but there <laughs> could be big news by the time even this show hits your ears. So uh, we just keep, keep, keep on Twitter, but also get off Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's a really dangerous place to be. And <laughs> or make me throw an Eric Garcia. Yeah, I got it wrong. He wasn't ready for the spotlight and I hope he is someday. I still believe in him and his raw core. I'm going to watch him probably be really good with Spain uh, and then have him return to Barcelona. His confidence is nothing. And, and uh, yeah, and he deserves to be on the bench. So yeah, it's tough. It's tough eating crow in the early going, but he's only been, Man, I was excited time. about, I was excited about Kun Aguero. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, I'll mean, wear that, but, yeah, but I totally was. All right, that'll wrap it up for another edition of the show. We're on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Close Facebook group is the Barcelona Podcast. Answer the questions, let you in. And then Patreon is how we keep making these shows. Always, always appreciate in the darkest of days how our Patreons kind of prop up the show and help us out uh, over there. You can also listen to the show without ads on Patreon. And then on YouTube, I usually do the match review unless I worked 12 hours and we're going to record the pod and we lose 3 nothing in the Champions League. So that's how you get match reviews pretty much every other time on the Barcelona Podcast YouTube channel. And most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza Barca. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.